Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Nevaeh and Camille and Campbell and Annabelle. Yesterday, uh, they have a strong heart for missions, and so they sat up yesterday and, and washed cars here in the front of our church and raised nearly $500 for Speed the Light to purchase vehicles and sound equipment for missionaries around the world. I love it. I love the heart of generosity that extends through all generations here at our church. Pastor Madison, thanks for your leadership of the teenagers and, and stewarding their heart towards kingdom builders and towards global missions. Absolutely love it. Last week, Mark Mumothai did an incredible job. I don't know if he's in here, but let's express our appreciation to him. My wife and I were in, uh, in Virginia for Glenn Reynolds' son's wedding, and so it's a blessing to be able to be there. And we have been in the midst of some tremendous weeks here uh, over the summer with our church, and just want to highlight some of the things that have happened. We had a Kingdom Builders team go to El Salvador. We had 50 teenagers go immediately follow that to go to youth camp. Another Kingdom Builders team went to Alaska, and now we've got these 27 kids and 10 leaders at kids camp this weekend. And so this summer has been anything but slow and uneventful. It's been fantastic. God's been doing tremendous things in the life of our church and the people who are part of it. So it's been an amazing summer full of tremendous opportunities. And I would encourage you next year, if you didn't get your kids signed up for kids camp or youth camp, that you would get them signed up to go next year. Those are transformative times for them. And so would encourage you towards that. This morning, I want to start a new sermon series called One Minute After You Die. And some of you are like, wow, I'm so glad that I could show up today for one of the most morbid messages that you'll probably hear in your entire life. And you're like, why in the world would today, why would you choose to do uh, this message? And here's why I want to talk about what happens one minute after you die for a couple of reasons. One is I've had some conversations with people recently, and there seems to be some confusion as to what happens to us for all of eternity. And so I want to take a few weeks and really look at scripture and break down what happens with that. I came across a series by uh, Pastor Craig Rochelle, and uh, we're going to steal some of that information for for this series. The second reason why I want to talk about uh, what happens one minute after we die is because what we believe impacts how we act, right? How we how we believe impacts how we behave. We do things based off of the beliefs that we have. Our beliefs shape our behavior. And so what you believe about eternity will shape how you live today. I love, Clint, that you talked about the small groups and the Bible studies that you've been a part of. Those are things that are gonna make an internal, eternal impact for you and those who, uh, who you do life with. And so we're gonna look at a lot of scriptures this morning because I believe that our beliefs should be based off of this book. Right, This book should be what, what shapes our beliefs, it directs our beliefs. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at what happens when we die. So to start off this morning, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at verse number 1. Actually, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, so you're going to have to turn a couple of pages over. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, I bet it's not going to appear on the screen because I goofed that up. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you'll have to follow along and your Bibles are on your digital devices. Oh, Pastor Fisher knew. Wow. Everybody give it up for Pastor Fisher. He's like, that's not 1 Corinthians, that's 2 Corinthians. I love it. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, it's a metaphor for our bodies. We know that when this earthly tent that we live in is taken down, when we die, when we leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven. An eternal body made for us by God himself. We have a building, he says, from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word for the power that it has to transform our lives. We ask that over the next few moments that we would sense a demonstration of your spirit's power. Would you show us how big you are and how big your word is? And Lord, may it shape our beliefs and our behaviors this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Verse number nine says, our aim is nothing more and nothing less than to please God. Our goal is to do what lasts eternally. In verse 10, Paul writes that we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to come back to this later in the message. But Paul writes that we'll receive what's due to us, good or bad. And so he writes, ultimately, whether we're here in this body or, or, or whether we're away from our body, our goal is to please God. What you believe about eternity determines how you live today. What you believe about eternity determines how you live today. If you believe that you're an accident, if you believe that there's no God, if you believe that there's no eternity, then you're going to live a selfish life. You're gonna live for the here and now. You're gonna live for the pleasures of this world. But if you believe that you've been created on purpose, for a purpose, by a a loving God, an incredible God, then your desire will be to bring him glory in all that you do for eternity. And it'll shape how you live today. What we believe about eternity determines how we live today. We're going to live somewhere for eternity. Our physical bodies will cease to exist, but our souls will live on forever. Next week, we're going to talk about the horrors of hell. We're going to talk about is hell a real place? We'll talk about what happens in hell, who goes to hell, and why did God create hell? In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about heaven and, 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 and who goes there and what we'll do there. But today we're going to lay the foundation for this series of one minute after you die. And so I want to talk about three things that happen after this life is over. And the first one's going to be real easy to remember because it's in the title of the message. And so the first point is this, our physical bodies die. Our physical bodies die. 
We all will live eternally, but our physical bodies die. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once. So grateful that we just die once, right? I mean, to face it one time, thank God we only have to do it once. But there are some recent studies, I don't know if you've seen them, some recent studies that are out that says this, that one out of every one, 100 out of every 100 people are going to die. I don't know if that surprises you this morning, like if you thought that there was a way that you were going to escape it, but death is certain for all of us. And again, some of you are like, it's so morbid. Yes, but as followers of Jesus, we have a hope. We have a hope. Like this is just a blip in all of eternity. We're all going to pass away. We don't know how, we don't know when, but we know that death is certain. We've come from dust and to dust we will return. Verse 27 says, it's appointed for man to die once, and then the verse continues, after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. We're destined to die, and after that, to face the judgment. We're going to come back on this thought, but Christ was sacrificed once and for all to take away the sins of many. He's going to appear a second time, not to deal with sin, as Scripture says, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So what's going to happen after we die? Our physical bodies die. The second thing is this, our souls separate from our physical bodies. Our souls separate from our physical bodies. Our soul continues to live. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse number 28, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What is he saying? He's saying, don't fear people. Live in the reverent fear of God. When our bodies cease to exist, our souls continue to live. One day, people will be at our funeral. Again, so morbid. And and so while they're sitting around eating fried chicken or sandwiches, or barbecue, or whatever you line up. I told my wife, I said, baby, when I die, I don't want a funeral. I don't want a service. Instead, I just want barbecue. Just feed everybody, have a barbecue picnic for everybody, and, and call, it, call it good. And so here's a fun story for you. I grew up in the South, and up until the age of 11, we went to a small country church. And at some point in in those 11 years of my life, the pastor looked at my parents and told them that I was going to be a pastor one day. You might say, wow, what discernment did he have? Well, I'll tell you how he discerned such a thing. It wasn't because of how I dressed. It wasn't because of how I acted. It was because at the church potluck, I ate my fair share of the fried chicken. And apparently, that was a requirement. To be a pastor was to be able to eat fried chicken at all the funerals and the church potlucks. It prepared me well. And so um, one day, people will be sitting around either eating fried chicken or sandwiches or whatever food that you have lined up. And while they'll think that as followers of Jesus that we are dead, can I tell you that we will never be more alive. We'll never be more alive. Our souls will live on even when our bodies cease to exist. 
Jesus illustrates it this way in the book of John. Martha's very upset. Her brother has died, and uh, he's been dead for four days. And the Bible uses some very graphic language, says that he stinketh. You know, a funky smell had come upon his body, and Martha's upset about it. And Jesus says in John chapter 11, verse 25, he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He says, do you believe this? Jesus goes on to bring Lazarus back from the dead to let him die another day because, again, all of us are going to die. What happens to a soul of a follower of Jesus after the, after the body dies? Bible's not clear on the details of what happened immediately, but what we do know is to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When Jesus was crucified, there were two criminals that were hung on either side of him. One of the criminals was bashing Jesus and mocking Jesus, and the, the other criminal uh, it, beside him had an opposite approach towards Jesus. He had a reverent approach towards Jesus, and in verse 42 and 43 of Luke chapter 23, This criminal said to Jesus, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This man didn't have a single moment to do any good before he died. There was no good that he could do to outweigh the bad that he had done in his life. It was just by the grace of Jesus that he says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And so what exactly is that and where is it? Again, we're not completely clear based off of scripture, but what we do know is that it's much better than here. It's much better than here. Paul writes in Philippians chapter one, verse number 20. He says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with the full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, To live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. For that is far better. He wrestles with this desire of should his desire be to stay here and make a difference and bear fruit on this earth, or is it better to be present with Christ? Is it better for this body to be fruitful and to share the love of God, or is it better to be away from the body and to be present with Christ? What happens one minute after we die? Our physical bodies die. Our soul continues to live and separate from our body, and at third, at some point, we'll face judgment. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 17. He says, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. Peter writes that God has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you've done. So what do we do with that? We live in reverent fear of of him during our time as temporary residents of this earth that he created. This world is not our eternal home. We're just passing through it. And in light of eternity, this time, whether you're eight weeks old or whether you're 100 years old this morning, it's still just a blip on what all of eternity will look like. 
And at the end of this life, we will be rewarded or we will face judgment. So we're going to look at scripture this morning of two different judgments that the Bible talks about. The first is called the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment. And most scholars believe that the great white throne judgment is only for non-believers. There's this man named John who's been exiled to the Isle of Patmos. He wrote the book Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. It's given to him by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and he, he tells of some things that are to come. In Revelation chapter 20, verse number 11, this is the vision that God has given to him that he records. He says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Let's skip down to verse number 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. What's the lake of fire? We're going to talk about that next week. You don't want to miss it. What's the book of life? Here's the amazing news. What we know is that Jesus is the son of God. He was born without sin. He lived a perfect life. He's called the Lamb of God. John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was slain for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus died in our place. And we come to our life, come to the place in our life like the criminal hung beside Jesus where we recognize our need for a Savior and we call out to him, by his grace, we're saved. We're not saved by our good works, we're saved by the grace of Jesus through faith in him. And when we call on him, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I'll never forget as a kid, there was a a traveling drama that would go from church to church and it was called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. Some of you are smiling, you've experienced it. Just raise your hand if you've seen Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. All right, just like less than a handful of you. That's what I anticipated. It was very dramatic. I can't even talk to you about one of the scenes that I was in publicly because it is, I just can't. Uh, Anyway, it was, I'm grateful that I did ministry early on in a time when Facebook and YouTube did not exist. That's all I can say. And so, um, but during Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames, there would be these vignettes, these scenes of people that were moments away from dying. They would die and then they would be ushered into eternity where God would either point to heaven and the angels would celebrate or he would point to hell and there was no celebration that would happen. But in that, each time the person would say, is my name written in the Lamb's book of life? And when their names were written in the Lamb's book of life, then they were ushered into heaven and there was great celebration and rejoicing. I'm just telling you, like I hope for all of us today, That if you're not already a follower of Jesus and if your name isn't written in that book, that today that you will make the decision, God, I want my name written in your book. When I die, I want you to recognize me. I want you to know that I have confessed you as my Savior. So if if he looks and your name is not in that book, if it's not there, Scripture says that your next move, your next place of residence is not a place that you're going to like or that you're going to enjoy. And again, we'll talk about that next week. There's some very sobering words found in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 21, 
directly from Jesus. These are some, again, they're very sobering words for all of us to take into consideration this morning. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name and do mighty, many mighty works in your name. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's so sobering. Contrary to popular belief, not everyone makes it to heaven. Not everyone will spend eternity in heaven. For those who are not in relationship, they will hear from God, depart from me, I never knew you. The first judgment is the white throne judgment. Will your name be written in the Lamb's book of life? The second judgment is called the judgment seat of Christ. Paul was talking to believers in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 10. These are followers of Jesus, and he writes these words to them, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. What's the judgment seat of Christ? It comes from this Greek word, bima. And bima is taken from the Greek Olympics. After a race, the winners would come before the judge who would stand on the bima or sit on the bima and look at the winners, the first and second and third place winners. And the judge would then give them out the rewards or the prizes or the award and say, here is your crown. The bima seat was not a place to judge, did you qualify Instead, the judgment seat, the Bema seat was a place to celebrate that you finished the race, that you were faithful, and here's the reward for what you've done. And so the judgment seat of Christ is not a judgment for your sins. This is a judgment for those who are followers of Jesus. Your sins were already forgiven by Jesus. This is the place where if Jesus acknowledges us, right? We see in scripture that if we acknowledge Jesus before men, then he will acknowledge us before the Father, And so this is a place that if he acknowledges us, that what we did on earth will be rewarded in heaven. And some of you might say, well, I'm confused. I thought you said earlier that we're not saved by our works. And I'll just tell you again, we're not saved by our works. We're never saved by our works. We can't be good enough or religious enough to be saved. You can't rid yourself of enough bad stuff on your own to be saved. Instead, it's by the grace of God. And so the problem is by nature that we're all sinners And our sin separates us from a holy God. But we're saved by the grace of Jesus and only by the grace of Jesus. We're saved because of him. We're saved by grace, but we are rewarded for works. So when we've been truly transformed by Jesus, we no longer are what we were and we're a new creation. And in that, we recognize that we didn't bring anything significant to the table. We've only been changed by the love of Jesus and suddenly we don't work now to to have our salvation. Instead, we live for the glory of Jesus. Because of what he did, we're no longer the same. We're saved by grace and rewarded in heaven for how we live and for our works. And so how we live matters eternally. What will we be rewarded for? What What will you be judged for? What will you be judged by? You'll be judged by and rewarded for how you treat people, how you cared for the least of these, how you cared for the outcast, the poor, the broken, the marginalized, and the hurting. You'll be judged by your motives, 
You'll be judged by the words that you speak. You'll be judged by how you endured suffering and rewarded if you endure suffering well. You'll be rewarded or judged by what you did with what you had. Did you use your resources to be a blessing or did you hoard it all for yourself? You'll be rewarded for the people that you bring to Christ. There is a crown. Imagine with me, your life is over. Again, it's gonna happen for all of us. And some of you are like, it's so morbid. Yeah, but it's true. Like, just think about it today. Everybody that you've known in life has passed away or they will pass away. And so imagine your life is over. Our physical bodies cease to exist. Our souls go on to live forever. And all the stuff that you have is left behind. And you stand before Jesus. In fact, you probably won't even be able to stand before Jesus. You'll kneel before Jesus. And he'll take this crown and he'll place it on your head and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done, when you served kids each week, you made an eternal difference in their lives that you didn't even know it, but many people here today are here because you served. Well done, you prayed and you prayed and you prayed. Well done, you were the brightest light in your office when others mocked you for your faith and others laughed at you, you were faithful. Well done when you did what was right, even when no one else saw it. When it would have been easier for you to do what was wrong, Jesus will say, I noticed. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done when you didn't have much, but you always gave, you always tithed. Well done, you always used what you had to meet the needs of others. God will say, I noticed. Well done. Well done, you shared your faith. And Jesus will say to you, you visited me when I was in prison. You comforted me. When I was sick, you gave me food. When I was hungry, you gave me water. When I was thirsty, you remember this verse. And they responded, Jesus, when did we ever do these things for, for you? And Jesus will say to you, whatever you did to the least of these, you've done unto me. What we believe about eternity impacts how we live today. We've got to fight to keep the eternal goal front and center. As the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 9, so whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. And I'll just tell you that even though mentally we know that there is an eternity, I would imagine that for some of us, me included, it's hard to live every single day with eternity in mind. And so we have to fight against that. We're wired for comfort. My wife and I flew out to, to our friend's wedding last week. And when we got onto the plane, I'm telling you, I'm sitting beside my wife. I'm grateful for that. I just want to put my earbuds in. I want to lean my head back. I want to close my eyes. And even though I'm an extrovert on a plane, I, I don't want to talk to a stranger. And I think I figured out why. It's because everybody on the plane hears everything that you're saying, especially when the people beside you have taken advantage of the free drinks that they are serving. And so I'll just tell you that that day there were some interesting things happening. There was a guy who switched seats with another person and there was some vulgarity that took place in that. And this man, uh, you can be the judge to know whether or not, uh, what state of mind that he was in, but. He puts his hand on my head. My wife's in here, babe. Am I lying? Am I exaggerating this story? Not at all. I didn't even pay her to say that. He puts his hand on my head and he says, I'm a pastor. 
I'm about to read your mind. Yeah, I don't even remember what he said, but it was clearly not what I was thinking. He sat down, and the guy sitting beside us was talking a lot. And at one point, he says, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor, but different than that kind of pastor. And so through the, source, through the course of the conversation, he tells us that he's not a religious person. And then we're talking about some other things and how our family had gone to the Redwood Forest this summer. And he was asking how that was. And I told him, and I said, man, I know that you're not a religious person. But for me standing in the midst of the Redwood Forest, our family looked around and we said, how could anybody not believe that there's a God? Right, they were, they were majestic, it was all inspiring. And so, and then he looks at me and he says, I, I didn't say that I don't believe in a higher power, I'm just not a religious person. And I say all of that to say that if we truly believe that heaven is real and hell is real, then it should impact how we live our lives. Our beliefs should impact our behaviors. When I step into an airplane, I shouldn't be trying to isolate myself from everybody around me, but instead, God, is there somebody here on the plane that by your grace and your mercy, you would put them beside me who would have an open heart to hear the gospel today that maybe would respond and that today that their decision would impact their eternity forever. Like, can we live our lives in such a way that we're interruptible no matter where we're at? Our beliefs should impact our behavior. And when we believe that eternity is real, I'm just telling you, we've got to fight against comfort. We've got to let God shape shape us. Do you truly know Christ? Are you living today like eternity matters? One minute after you slip behind the parted curtain, you'll either be enjoying a personal welcome from Christ or you'll be catching your first glimpse of gloom as you've never known it. But either way, at that moment, your future will be irrevocably fixed and eternally unchangeable. I'm gonna ask that you would bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. This morning, this message is in no way a scare tactic to try to scare people into becoming followers of Jesus. It's really just an attempt to point out over the next few weeks that Eternity is real, heaven is real, hell is real. And the decisions that we make today will impact us for eternity. So maybe there are some of you here today who you know that your names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. You know that if you were to stand before the judgment seat of Christ today, if you were to stand before the great white throne judgment, your name would not be in the Lamb's book of life. And you say, today, I wanna make a decision to follow Jesus. I recognize my need for a savior. In just a moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for, my, for the very first time be my savior. Maybe there are others of you who have turned your back on him and you say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to him. 
When I count to three, if that's you, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room? One, two, three. Lift them up all across this room. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Let's all stand. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you raise your hand, I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying this morning. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. If you raise your hand in person or online, we'd ask that you would text the word yes to 319-250-8998. Again, text the word yes to 319-250-8998. We would encourage you in the decision that you've made today and the journey that God wants to take you on. We leave time at the end of each of our services for people to receive prayer. Just a moment, the prayer team's gonna make their way to both sides of the stage. And if you come here today needing prayer for anything, when the worship team continues to lead us in this next song, I would ask that you would step out of your seat and come forward and let somebody pray for you. So I'm gonna pray. As I do, the prayer team's gonna make their way to the front. Worship team's gonna lead us in another song. I'd encourage you to come forward. God, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for the instructions that we see in your word. We thank you for the warnings that we see in your word. And we thank you for the hope that we see in your word. God, we're grateful that today, that if we confess our sins to you, that you are faithful and just to forgive us. That if we confess you as our savior, that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life and we'll get to spend an eternity with you. Lord, I pray for those in this room that still haven't made that decision to become a fully devoted follower of you. I pray that today, before they step out these doors, that they would make that decision. God, help us each day as we live to live with eternity in sight. Lord, may it shape how we personally live our lives. And God, may it inspire us to live interruptible lives, open lives to where you would bring people into, in, in our, to cross our paths that we would share the gospel with. Lord, I pray that over the next few weeks as we dive into this series that you would bring people through these doors that need to hear the message of the hope of Christ. Lord, that we'll make a decision to follow you and that their eternity will be shaped forever and we'll give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.